Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to episode 58 of Destination Disaster. I'm your host, Devin Carney. In early September 2023, a catastrophic earthquake struck the Marrakech, Safi region of Morocco. The epicenter was located roughly 50 miles southwest of Marrakech, near the town of Ig Hill. This earthquake is the strongest ever recorded by instrumentation in Morocco. This earthquake was measured reaching between a magnitude 6.8 to 6.9 and on the maximum Mercalli intensity scale of 8, or severe. In this episode, we're going to cover the earthquake itself and if any previous development could have prevented the near 3,000 deaths and the near 6,000 injuries. Please note that this episode is not to be taken as a criticism against the efforts undertaken, but rather how far the Moroccan government has progressed in their development to handle such disasters. On September 8, 2023, at approximately 11 p.m., the earthquake struck near the town of Ig Hill in the Atlas Mountains. The earthquake is a result of a shallow oblique thrust fault thrusting beneath the mountain range. Morocco lies close to the Azores-Gibraltar Transform Fault, which is the boundary between the African Plate and the Eurasian Plate. This zone of right lateral strike-slip becomes transpressional at its eastern end with the development of large thrust faults. To the east of the Strait of Gibraltar and the Alborin Sea, the boundary becomes collisional in type. Most of the seismicity in Morocco is related to the movement on that plate boundary, with the greatest seismic hazard in the north of the country close to the boundary. Due to the location of this earthquake, over 2 million people were affected, with most damage concentrated in more rural locations where most infrastructure is outdated. The most recent situation report provided by Relief Web International outlines severe damage to health, water, and shelter. The earthquake severely impacted health infrastructure, especially in Alhuz and Marrakech, where many victims needed urgent care. Unsatisfactory burial conditions in remote villages raised disease outbreak concerns. Marrakech's outdoor treatments highlight the need for urgent logistical support, while PTSD emerges with a significant mental health issue. The earthquake disrupted water networks, intensifying potable water shortages, especially in Hauhuz, the same area, and other rural areas. These challenges are amplified with potential contamination risks. Urgent needs include clean water, sanitation facilities, hygiene kits, and infant care essentials, alongside tools like flashlights for power outages. Immediately following the earthquake, there was some scrutiny that the king, King Mohammed VI, delayed his acknowledgement of the disaster. However, it was later learned that he was coordinating with officials on the ground, identifying which areas needed the most critical assistance. This delay in communication was due to some of the most infected regions being incredibly remote. 
The military was activated, and within hours, the early stages of response began with the clearing of vital networks. King Mohammed VI, who was reportedly in France at the time of the earthquake, authorized the deployment of the Royal Moroccan Army in various affected cities in order to help. He also declared three days of national mourning and ordered the creation of a relief commission to provide survivors with aid and the opening of special bank accounts to allow donations. A multitude of nations immediately offered physical and monetary aid to the affected country. However, the Moroccan government only chose to allow limited international involvement as a large response would complicate response efforts already being undertaken by the military on the ground. A multitude of nations immediately offered physical and monetary aid to the affected country. However, the Moroccan government only chose to allow limited international involvement as a large response would complicate response efforts already being undertaken by the military on the ground. Frustration also grew among international aid groups on standby as they had not received formal requests. The Moroccan government did not formally ask for foreign assistance. However, they accepted aid from Qatar, Spain, the United Arab Emirates, and the United Kingdoms. Officials said they only have approved the offer of four countries because a lack of coordination could be counterproductive. They added that other offers may be approved when there is a need. On September 17th, the king sent formal messages to representatives of the four countries' search and rescue teams, thanking them for their assistance. This most recent earthquake highlights key improvements and evolutions in the Moroccan government in relation to emergency response. Immediately following the earthquake, response personnel were on the ground, coordinating search and rescue efforts, identifying critical aid, and other vital efforts that were needed. While international aid is crucial to developing nations, I believe that at a certain point, it affects internal development mechanisms because at some point, a country must develop the tools necessary to protect its citizens. In a study released by the London School of Economics and Political Science, humanitarian aid can negatively impact development if continuously provided following a disaster. The study focuses directly on Lebanon, a country notorious for being unable to provide even the most basic services and more importantly, unable to adequately respond to a disaster. The Lebanese state is infamous for not being able to deliver the most basic services to their population. The capital provides no more than six hours of electricity daily, the train service has stood still since the Civil War, and apart from a small fleet of minibuses, there is no public transport for the 6.5 million citizens to get around the country. Lebanon possesses more water than any other Middle Eastern country yet suffers from constant water shortages and high pollution levels. As you hear, these cycles can be hard to break when a country doesn't do the hard work to develop itself internally. Morocco is not that. The government continues to make vital improvements every day when it comes to emergency preparedness. It's evident in its response to the COVID-19 pandemic when the healthcare infrastructure was wholly underprepared the government instituted key measures that prevented an already stressful situation into one that was rampant and out of control. From March 2020 on, Morocco took swift and effective measures to control the spread of the COVID-19 outbreak. The country declared a national health emergency, closing its borders and schools, prohibiting public and private gatherings, and calling for mandatory confinement. COVID-19 mitigation measures included cash transfers and tax deferrals for households, along with loans and social contribution payments for businesses. The government is seemingly making steps in the right direction to better the life of its citizens. 
The simple fact is that no country is perfect and flaws exist even in the most developed nations when it comes to disaster response. In historic instances, we've seen developed nations lapse in responding to disasters, forcing the affected to gather together and survive until responders arrive on scene. Simple fact is that while you can prepare for an earthquake, there are thousands upon thousands of variables that exist which makes it a challenge to develop efficient methods of response. In my opinion, preparedness needs to start in the community with effective public campaigns and forming those most at risk of proper shelter techniques, evacuation routes, and basic first aids should they become stranded while waiting for help. You can create all of the government agencies that you want, but until the public is aware and informed, they remain a liability. Community-based preparedness establishes a well-rounded response system that allows time for government assets to respond. We see that in some communities here in the United States with CERT, or Community Emergency Response Teams. These teams are activated either before, during, or following a disaster impact, and the primary goal is to reduce the burden on first responders, allowing them to assess the most heavily affected areas first. While I'm not saying that the Moroccan government should pursue a program like this, citizens have shown that they will jump in to help their neighbors whenever needed. Where I believe the government could help more rapidly is within structural upgrades. It's imperative that these crucial upgrades be undertaken to prepare the infrastructure to withstand a worst-case scenario earthquake. This includes developing backup communication systems for emergency response organizations, upgrading existing buildings with resistant materials, and finally, developing a resilient healthcare system that is able to surge capacity should large numbers of injuries and casualties occur. Instituting these key upgrades would offer enhanced protections and a more resilient response infrastructure. It can be helpful to draw guidance from a model of implementation that outlines the stages that a community must pass through before full implementation is achieved. One such model is the Simpson transfer model in which diffusion happens in four stages, exposure, adoption, implementation, and practice. Communities must first be exposed to community resilience building and then they can help build the capacity needed to adopt activities to build resilience. Once organizations have the capacity to implement community resilience building activities, they begin early implementation, followed by practice of the activities until they become institutionalized. Appropriate monitoring and evaluation can help communities assess what stage of implementation they are in and gauge outcomes accordingly. What I just read was provided from a research study published by the RAND Corporation outlining community-based resilience and the integral need for it. Without it, citizens are far more at risk of an ineffective recovery and post-traumatic mental disorders. Areas throughout the world that experience disaster without a supporting government tend to experience regressive development within society. A study published by the Harvard Kennedy School focuses on this topic in Mexico, but I believe we can use this information for our episode today. Our main results show that natural disasters reduce human development and increase poverty, and this effect can be sizable. The average impact on human development in the affected areas is similar to going back two years in terms of their human development gains over a five-year period reviewed. And the impact of natural disasters is higher for those municipalities with lower levels of human development, while no effects are found for the wealthier municipalities. This is why it is so imperative that we focus on aiding developing nations to prevent similar outcomes 
and work to have a resilient response infrastructure. Morocco is doing that. They are making the strides necessary, and it has been evident in this last earthquake with the response provided by the government. I want to thank you all for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a like, share it, and leave a comment if you have anything that you'd like to hear. As we approach the end of the season, I'm already gearing up for next season. These next couple of episodes are going to focus on more current events taking place. Until next time, this has been Destination Disaster. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.